Um, but let us begin this uh, this, ser- this sermon. Uh, we're in a follow-up on the events of the end times. Um, it really is a idea. To, uh, I guess I'm recording. Okay, it's called "How shall we then? How then shall we live?" And because we're called out of the world alongside Israel to be members of the body of Messiah and citizens of the kingdom to come. We are to live as light to the world, and we're also to live light. I talked about that last week, L-I-T-E, or probably better grammar would be lightly in this world. So I want to pick up right at the verse where uh, Trevor left off in our Advent readings. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 11 is what he finished with, that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to pick it up from right there in this context. So let me read that to you. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Um, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will, that is to make you willing, and to do, that is to work, for his good pleasure. Okay? He says, do this without grumbling or disputing, so that you can prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I have not run in vain or toiled in vain. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Now, in this passage, Paul tells us that in light of the fact that we have confessed Jesus as Lord, we are to obey the word of God as God works in us to conform us to his eternal purpose so that we are transformed rather than conformed to the world. And in this, Paul says, we become lights in the darkness of the world within our generation. And this then requires us to be in the world, because we can't be a light to the world if we're not in it, but we're not to be of it. So that brings us to the passage that we looked at last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I want to look at that a little closer with a little more context. So we'll pick it up at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. So Paul says, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And walk means to behave. And so I direct in all the churches. So if Paul's directed this in the Corinthian church, he's also directed it to the disciples. So here's what he says. Was anyone called... In circumcision, a man called in circumcision, uh, 
He is not to become uncircumcised. So if you are called to Messiah as a Jew, you're not supposed to become a non-Jew. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision, that is, as a Gentile, of the nations called out for his name? We are not to become circumcised. The purpose of the gospel is to not make everyone Jews or everyone Gentiles in that sense, but to make Jews and Gentiles who are called Christians one in the Messiah. And so he says... um, because circumcision, being a Jew, is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commandments of God. I want you to notice Paul's focus here is on the commandments of God. Uh, each one then is to remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you called? This means when you became a believer. Were you called while a slave? Don't worry about it. But if you're able to become free, rather do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. Likewise, the one who is called while free becomes Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in the condition in which he was called. Now, we talk a lot about calling. I want us to be careful. We're not called to a ministry. Paul was. But even with regard to pastors, the Bible doesn't talk about a calling to the pastor. It says if a man desires the office of an overseer, he desires a good work. Here's the qualifications. Uh, So here's the deal. We have all been called to Christ. And when we were called to Christ... We were in some condition of being a Jew or being a Gentile, of being slave or being free, being male or being female. And he says, we have been called to Christ, and because of that, we are in the world, but no longer of it. And we are to remain in the condition that we were called in. Now, he doesn't mean this absolutely, because in the other verses around this, he allows those who are married, uh, who are betrothed but not married to marry, and those who are betrothed but not haven't come together yet to remain uh, separate in that context. And he allows slaves to become no longer slaves. So he is talking about a general principle where there are situational differences. What he is making clear here is that we are not to believe that we can change the world. We're going to make the world without slavery. We're going to make the world uh, all married or without marriage. We're going to make the world uh, without poverty. We cannot bring the kingdom by our efforts. But we are to live lightly in this world, he says, so that we're not fully using that. That's the passage that we looked at last time, where he says, Brethren, the time is short, verse 29, The time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did possess. And those who make use of the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. This structure that will be done away with and will not be in the kingdom. There will be no marriage in, in, in the new creation. There will be no uh, division between Jew and Gentile. They will be one 
one new humanity, even though there will be Jews and nations in the new creation, they will not be at war with each other. And so he is talking about how we are to live in this world, but not fully engaged in it, which is what I want to talk about uh, today. So that brings us to this title of this sermon, that we live in the world as light in the world and lightly in the world. Two things. So let me talk about the first one, living as light in the world. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, passage that we're very familiar with. And uh, of course, we just went through Matthew recently, uh, so these passages are more familiar to you. I'm trying to draw back to them as much as I can so that this will reinforce it. Matthew 5, verse 14, Jesus says, Now, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but puts it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And he immediately then talks about he's not getting rid of the commandments of the Torah. He's going to bring them into full operation. Now we're very familiar with this passage. It was actually spoken to Israel by Jesus, by Yeshua, to his uh, fellow Jews. He was not talking to Baptists. There were no Americans there. There were no Methodists there. When he says, you are the light of the world, he is reminding Israel that they are a unique nation created by God by covenant to be a light to the nations. And that when they act in obedience to the commandments of God, they are a light to the nations. Uh, and so Jesus is telling them, but clearly this can be an extension to us. That's why Paul says in the Philippian letter that when we obey the commandments of God, we become light in a dark world. Because, Jesus says, a light, a city that is on a hill cannot be hidden. Why? Because it shines in the darkness and can be easily seen. The last few nights I've been looking around the hills around our house, and I can actually see the houses better at night when they're all lit up, especially now when many of them have put up their Christmas lights, than I can during the day. I can't even tell if there are houses in some of those areas. And if I look down the hills to the city of Riverside below, it lights up, and I, it's very easy to see. I can see a very long distance because of the lights, but during the day, I can't look down there and see it as much. Jesus says that a city that is on the hill, when it's lit up, can't be hidden. Then he says that a light that is put under a basket uh, can't be seen, it's hidden, but it's put on a lampstand so that it gives light to all those who are in the house. Now these two examples can be understood as really talking about the same thing. Well, they can be taught, they can be applied as distinct, but I want to do that. The starting place is the second part that he talked about, not the city, but the house. He started with the house. Our households must have this faith on a lampstand and not under a basket. So that all who are in our household, all who are in our house churches, all who are in the Havara that we are developing among the Havara of the various uh, parts of our congregation can benefit from the light that's within 
those households. And that's why the Disciple Center has such an emphasis on establishing and maintaining households of faith. Not just for those of our family members, but as we begin to open our households up as house churches and as Havaraz, Havarot, plural, uh, are, they will be the center of living. But remember that that light has to first come to those who are in the house. That would be our children and those who have close relationships so that they're in our household from time to time. And then our congregation is that city that is seen at night and which can't be hidden. We gather together, and we will hopefully be doing that sooner rather than later, and we stoke the flames and reinforce our faith and relationship to God and to each other. And we can't just leave the services when they're over and let our flames go out. Jesus tells us to let our light shine before men. We're supposed to be out and about in the world shining. How do we shine? We shine by obeying the commandments of God. It's very practical. There are commandments about every aspect of life, regular life, that we can engage so that we become light in the world. Not as darkness, acting and living like them, but living like children of light, with the oil and the wick of the Spirit and the Word of God manifest in our thoughts and intents and in our words and deeds. And we do this as the body of Messiah, whether we're together or apart. And one reason that we share testimonies of what God's doing among us is to reinforce our faith, but also so that we have stories to tell others when they ask about our faith. It's very helpful to say, this is what happens in our household and in my family, but here is also what's going on within our congregation. It becomes a testimony of each other as witnesses of God. So being light requires that we are in the world, but it also requires that we live lightly in the world. So how do we do that? This is what I've talked about several times, this problem of assimilation and being conformed to the world. And this is a particular problem for Christians and Jews who live in America. The founding of this nation was greatly influenced by Christians and others who had been victims of both government and ecclesiastical persecution in Europe. There were religious wars <coughs> where denominations killed each other. There were government uh, shutdowns of, and persecution of certain religious groups. So the founding fathers of the United States combined an enlightenment secularism and a call for religious freedom and gave us a system which many have believed that it was in fact Christian. It really wasn't. America has never been fully what you would call a Christian nation, but it was so influenced and so Christian friendly that it has been hard to see the difference. For Jews, while America has not been quite as friendly to them as to Christians, it did represent a place where they could thrive. So as America then became more secular, beginning with the governmental framework, and then more and more of the government taking over schools and taking over other 
aspects, there became a greater secularization with a tolerance of people being religious Christians and Jews, the threat of persecution ebbed almost to be non-existent. But silently and subtly, the threat of assimilation gained a hold. The modern secular world allowed Christians and Jews to compartmentalize their faith. Religion, in this compartmentalization, retreated to Shabbat for Jews and the Lord's Day for Christians, and it included the major holy days. The Sabbath then became less of a home observance among Jews, and they began to go to observe Sabbath by going to shul, going to the synagogue. And the Lord's Day became a going to church for many Christians. As long as you went to the service and you were a good person of faith, anything that you did religiously beyond that was gravy. And so the religious household, as central to this faith, was largely a thing of the past. And then in the last several decades, the nature of congregation itself has changed. People no longer felt obligated to present themselves to the Lord regularly. Now the congregation had to have a reason to draw people in. It had to become entertaining, and it had to be worth going to. Or I'll go, I'll go somewhere else, or I'll stay home. And usually, it didn't really accomplish this entertainment. So worship also became optional for many believers as well. So now, our household lamps have gone out, and our congregations have gone neon and flashy, which requires neither the spirit nor the word, because it's just the trappings of the world in entertainment. And many Christians then are assimilated and they know it. They no longer really believe that the Bible is practical for everyday living. And they really don't care about their faith except maybe when they're faced with death or a major problem. But many are assimilated but don't know it because they go to church and they read their Bible and on occasion they pray. They are, as one author has described them, of the world, but not in it. They kind of separate from the world, but they do what the world does because they really wish they were more deeply engaged in the world. They live lightly in the faith, having a form of godliness, but deny its power. And less and less of their everyday life is committed to God and to the kingdom to come. So I want to bring us back to a text that is a very important text. It's in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, 12 verses. I'm going to only talk about a couple of them, but I want to read the entire uh, 12 verses. So here's, here's uh, how that goes. My son, do not forget my teaching, and let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. Do not uh, let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Now here's the key verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. 
Fear the Lord, turn from evil, and it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, that's first fruits. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproofs. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects his son in whom he delights. Really important 12 verses. These verses should be written on our walls and we should memorize them and we should be doers of them. We must ask God what he wants us to do in all our ways acknowledging him. That is, asking what is his will in this given situation. And then we must do that. We have to return to trusting and obeying. In this passage, in verse um, 6, when it says, in all your ways, it, the word there, the Hebrew word is derek. It conveys the idea of a walk path, a, a pathway that you walk on. Uh, in other words, a way of life, a manner of living that you engage in. Orthodox Jews believe that those who tremble at God's word that means they fear God. Those people walk, behave in his pathway, in his derrick. That is, they obey his commandments, which reflect his will. Well, we fear God. We tremble at his word. That is what faith is. And we struggle to walk in accordance with his will. And what is his will? It's not something he's playing hide-and-go-seek with. God's will is his commandments. He has commanded. He has an eternal purpose that he is doing. He is working that out. And he has a will for his children, not one for each of us, a will for his children. Those are his commandments. And we are to do that and stay on the path. But that is a struggle, staying on the path. The world calls us. The flesh calls us. The things that are in the world call us. And we have to make sure that we hold back and live lightly in the world. When God spoke to Israel in the wilderness, they responded with some words that you and I have just said. As the Torah was pulled out of the, um, the ark, we recited... All that God commands, we will do. Well, that's what Israel said in the wilderness. I want you to turn with me uh, for our last passage here to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Another passage that you should be very, very familiar with. Uh, it is in that chapter that the commandments, the Ten Commandments, are are stated. They're also in, in Exodus. But we're going to pick it up at verse 27. In verse 27, God says to Moses, Go near and hear... Uh, uh, Moses is saying this. Go near and hear all that the Lord our God says. Then speak to us all that the Lord our God speaks to you, and we will hear and do this. Now what Moses is talking about, I don't want to read this entire thing, but when God had spoke to them, the people said, we don't want to hear it. Uh, we'll do whatever he says, but you go up and you get the word and you come down and tell us all that God says we will do. So the Lord, he says, heard your words 
when you spoke to me about that. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. What did they speak? All that God commands, we will do. And he says, they have done well in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Go say to them, return to your tents. But as for you, you stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may observe them in the land where I give them to possess. And you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded, that you may live and it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. Now, it's very important to look at verses 28 and 29. God said, the saying this to me is good. All that God commands we will do. Well, then he wants us to have a heart to do that. It has to be more than words. It has to be done without turning to the left or to the right. It's about growth and progress, not perfection. So here's my suggestion about what we need to do as we begin this new liturgical year. We need to return to God. That's what Advent is. It's a period of repentance to return again to God. Each of the major holy days has a period of cleaning up our act, making sure we're back on the path. And so here's what I want you to think about as we go through Advent. What in all of our ways are we doing in the knowledge and will of the Lord? What aspects of your life, when you get up, when you get dressed, when you um, clean up your house, when you walk out of there, when you go to whatever you do, what that do you do during the day? I want you to monitor yourself and say, what am I doing according to the knowledge and will of the Lord? Do I have a biblical command or principle that I am actually engaged in in this behavior? And I want you to look at what is now compartmentalized, what doesn't have an acknowledgement or is not in accordance with his will. In other words, where am I being assimilated? Where am I turning to the right or turning to the left? And then as you do that, I want you to take one new step at home. I want you to light that light and place it on the lampstand in your home. So, because if our homes become brighter, our congregation will become brighter as a result. So what am I talking about? Well, let me say this very clearly. One of the things would be take these verses, write them out, and put them on the walls of your, uh, your house. Put them at the doorpost. Put them somewhere in there. Uh, dust off that family altar that is there, mourn as a symbol than anything else, and actually say some prayers in front of it. Light the Advent candles around it as you sing and do that. Uh, engage in a devotional life of the Shabbat or the Lord's Day, as Trevor was talking about, and the Holy Days. Light the Advent and Hanukkah candles. Let your children be a part of that. Talk about the texts as we uh, go through this. Because, and this is my conclusion, the darkness is increasing in this world. 
It's increasing in the schools. It's increasing in the neighborhoods. It's increasing in the workplaces and in many churches. And the foundation of the next generation is going to have to be found in our households and in our congregational relationships. And if the world becomes our focus, so that we're focused on career and reputation and success, then we're going to embrace and use this world fully. A lot of ideas of if I can just get this taken care of, then I can serve the Lord more. That is a lie. But if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his holiness, we will save our children and our converts. Now, I'm convinced that my path is set towards God, albeit wobbly at times. What about yours? What about your children? I have talked to so many people, including pastors, in the last three weeks who are asking me for help because their children have walked away from the faith. The temptation of assimilation of teenagers and young adults at this point is greater in America than it's ever been. The, the struggle to have values that are biblical. I'm going to talk about this uh, uh, in two weeks or three weeks when I talk about but for us. Next week I'm really going to talk about Jewish and Christian identity and belonging and what it takes to establish that in our homes. But I'm wanting you to do something very practical. I'm wanting you to take a step at one more commandment. Uh, Jews would say one more mitzvah, one more good deed, one more thing that is a step along the pathway of righteousness and holiness. And so if we do that, if we each take a little step as a congregation, we will move forward. And we can do this without gathering. We can do this in our homes and in our house churches and in the Havarot that are forming, and we can be ready to be a light in the world and to walk lightly in the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then uh, we will um, do Q&A.